0: Tennis fans and welcome to yet another edition of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. Find us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Canada. Well, Roger Federer and Dominic Team both won titles at their home tournaments this past week. We have the men playing the final Masters 1000 of 2019 in Paris. The Tevlin Challenger is now underway at Aviva Center in Toronto. But first we start with our world number four Canadian Bianca Andreescu is competing in the end of year finals from Shenzhen and uh, quite a an intriguing start, really, Mike, uh, that Bianca got to really play her, her idol in her first match, Simona Halep of Romania. And it was a topsy-turvy three, uh, three-setter where Bianca actually had a look at a match point.
1: Well, how long have we been looking forward for this one? I mean, really, uh, Bianca's been talking about her uh, growing up and, and idolizing Simona Halep. Uh, as soon as she got on the Canadian radar and as her season got better and better this year, we were all eagerly anticipating when the two would cross paths. And finally here it's happening on one of the biggest stages you could imagine at the uh, year-end WTA finals. So you couldn't put much more hype on this match. And for Romanian tennis fans especially, I can only imagine what this must have felt like. But it, uh, it delivered to me. This match absolutely delivered uh, Bianca was ready from the get-go, and I mean, that's been the story all year long, seemingly, is she just feels no pressure. She comes out swinging, and she was really imposing her game in that first set, putting all kinds of pressure on Simona Hallep's serve. Halep's second serves were getting just destroyed by Andreescu, whether it was on the forehand or the backhand side, and I just think that that first set really bodes well for her moving forward in the tournament that she's not going to be intimidated by the moment. And she's going to be ready to play any of these great top eight players that she's going to be facing.
0: Yeah, and one fantastic thing uh, for Bianca Andreescu through this 2019 season is she has been battle-tested. Uh, battle She's played a lot of these top 10 players before she hadn't faced uh, Simona Halep yet. And and maybe if you were to sort of single out a player with the best fighting spirit uh, on the women's tour, I would probably not look past Simona Halep, but you can see just by the numbers how close this match was. Uh, total points won. They played 200 points. Bianca won 101 of them, uh, Halep with 99. But uh, getting a few more of those crucial points uh and Bianca afterwards sort of lamenting a couple missed opportunities late in that second set of course she did have the look at match point but uh, Simona Halep refused to give in and uh look they're 10 years apart Halep 29 Bianca Andreescu 19 but if we were pro- to project I think Halep's career she has many good years moving forward and maybe this could be uh, the start of a budding new rivalry.
1: It'd be fantastic. Uh, I mean, for both countries, Canada and Romania, to see these two go head-to-head, every match would be special and certainly grip the the two sides. As uh, we know, Bianca uh, was born in Canada, but she did spend some formative years in her childhood in Romania, and Romanian tennis fans are always very proud to remind us of that, as they should be. Uh, The match for me, which looked like it was certainly going Bianca's way, turned on a couple of factors. One was the uh, physical nature of the match, which... The older Halep seemed to handle better, um, although she did have a, a medical timeout as well at the end of the second set. But Bianca's back seemed to be acting up, and, and that back has given her problems in the past as well. So that's a little bit concerning. We'll see how that plays out with some rest over in Shenzhen. And then the second thing to me that really stood out was the on-court coaching, which Halep chose to use quite frequently with Darren Cahill coming to see her and Bianca not having her coach, Sylvain Bruno, come down to talk to her. So I don't know about you, but that to me was an interesting sort of um, contrast between the two players. Bianca trying to do it herself, Simona requiring some help, and it really did seem to to push her in the right direction towards the end of the match with some of those technical suggestions that uh, Darren Cahill was giving her.
0: It's almost like a, a rebirth of, of that pairing really, because Simona Halep, as we know, uh, you go back to the end of 2018 rolling into the start of the calendar year here. Uh, she was opting not to have a coach. Uh, Darren Cahill, wasn't traveling with her. Uh, but of course, when Cahill was in Halep's corner, they finally had that breakthrough moment where she won her first grand slam title at the French open. So we know how, uh, instrumental he has been to her career and, and now he's back in the fray and clearly uh, they've picked up right where they left off uh, and Halop actually thanked uh, Darren Cahill on her uh, on her social media after the match so clearly uh, those two getting along picking up that relationship where it left off and Halep using the coaching tool to her advantage Bianca hasn't really had an interest in using the coaching tool and perhaps uh, that is you know a, a prep. for for handling Grand Slams. We know she avoided it at Rogers Cup for that reason ahead of the U.S. Open. So uh, kind of fascinating to see. We should mention... Ben, Ben, sorry, before
1: before you keep going there, but one thing that was of interest to me, and I still haven't really made up my mind about how I feel about on-court coaching, so you can call me a fence-sitter, but sometimes I love it and sometimes I hate it. Mm -hmm. But if I do want to see on-court coaching, I think the way that Darren Cahill and Simona Halep operate is absolutely the template that coaches and players should follow because there was no you know raised voice. There was no berating the player. There was no, you have to do this, or you have to stop doing that. It was very much a dialogue going back and forth where he was making suggestions. She was sort of counter-suggesting. And he came to, at the end of it, sort of saying, well, hey, if you feel like doing that, then go for it. I fully support that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, here's something you might want to try a little bit more up the line on the backhand, come in and, and cut her off a little bit with a swing volley and, don't give her as much time. But I just found the uh, the back and forth, the give and take between the two of them was really great to watch. And that's how players and coaches, in my mind, should be working uh, as a tandem if you're going to uh, use on-court coaching.
0: Yeah, and, and ideally working that way as a tandem. And, and uh, on the practice court as well, um, just you know, fostering and building those relationships. We've seen uh, rela- relationships between coaching and player uh, that have not worked out. And you got to understand these players, especially a player of Simona Halep's caliber, they're going to have egos. Uh, so coaches need to know how to work around that. Uh, just a little bit about the format. Uh, for those who don't know, Shenzhen, the WTA finals, we have the top eight players competing and they're divided into groups. So we have the red group and the purple group. And Bianca is in the purple group alongside Simona Halep, Carolina Pliskova and Alina Svitolina then in the red group uh, we have Ashley Barty Naomi Osaka Petra Kvitova and Belinda Bencic and and we'll stay with the purple group for now because that's where uh, Bianca is Alina Svitolina the defending champion here and she opened with a straight sets win over Karolina Pliskova uh, which which players maybe do you like coming out of this purple group or or is it hard to really tell because we've only seen uh one match from from everybody
1: Geez, am I even allowed to pick anyone other than Bianca? I mean, it's, uh, you know. uh, That's look,
0: I think if if
1: Bianca's healthy uh, and is at, uh, well, maybe not 100%, but if she's physically ready to go for the next two matches, I give her a very great chance against Pliskova and Svitolina, two players that she has already beaten in 2019. Um, her and Halep, uh, along with Petra Kvitova, are the only three players in the tournament that have winning records against their respective pools. So, I don't know how much stock you can put into that but past performance against these players probably gives a little bit of confidence to those three that I just mentioned. In in terms of, you know, who I'd like to see or who I can imagine sorry seeing uh you know advancing, it's so tough to say. I mean, if if you look at some of the recent winners in the past few years at the WTA Finals, you've got Svitolina last year who really needed that big win to salvage her season. The year before was Caroline Wozniacki who had been really quiet between her Aussie Open win and the end of the year. Dominika Sibokova uh, the year before that and Eger Rudwanska. So not exactly maybe the players that you would have expected. I think come this time of year what's really important is is how much gas these players have left in the tank because it's been a long and grueling season and uh, sometimes just because you've won the most matches uh you know in a year does not necessarily translate into having enough left at this this time of the, uh, the season.
0: Yeah, that's true. And we have seen some surprise winners on the men's side as well in the ATP Finals in London. One player who has sort of put her foot on the gas post-US Open uh, with two consecutive titles and now an 11-match winning streak is Naomi Osaka. She, of course, won the Japan Women's Open and then moved over to win the China Open and then opened here in the Red Group, defeating Petra Kvitova in a very tight three-set match uh, I'm liking her chances definitely to to probably break through to the semifinals here. And then you have Ashley Barty, who opened with a nice win uh, over Belinda Bencic. But Petra Kvitova has dealt with injuries. Uh, Barty has been quite inconsistent since her French Open victory. And then even on the purple side, Simona Halep really just has the one title this season. Uh, of course, it was it was Wimbledon, so it was a big one. So it is a very open field. And the fascinating thing about your WTA finals is every match is so high stakes of two fantastic players playing one another. There was a great quote from uh, Simona Halep after her win over Bianca Andreescu. It's like every match is like a final.
1: And it's so true. And you look at those eight players, some years you might get a couple who you think, ah, they're a little bit weaker than the others. Really, all eight of those players are fantastic. Even Kvitova missing some time. You can never count her out. She seems to play well when she comes back. Bencic uh, has had a, a fantastic season, reasserting yourself as a top threat and has a winning head-to-head against Osaka this year. So, yeah, it's really a coin toss, but it's going to be a heck of a fun tournament to watch. I'm expecting a lot of three-set matches, and uh, I, I can't put myself on the spot, nor will I ask you, um, because we know our history with that. But let's just uh, <laughs> in- enjoy what we've got and try our best to, to, di- to dissect it in a week when when things wrap up.
0: Yeah, certainly. And uh, we will mention on the doubles side that Canadian Gabby Dabrowski, of course, uh, competing and qualifying there with partner Julie Zhu. Now, they did lose their first match uh, to Krejcikova and Siniakova, the very strong uh, Czech doubles team, six four six two. 4 So uh, they did lose their first match, but we'll get a couple more chances in doubles. Uh, you know, a- as we speak right now, uh, excited to point out that I'm going to be speaking to Bianca Andrescu's coach, Sylvain Bruneau, who can uh, hopefully give us plenty of insights on what a fantastic 2019 season it has been for Bianca Andrescu and what this is looking like for, uh, moving forward for the team ahead.
1: Yeah, I'm a little jealous of you getting to do this one, but I couldn't be there tonight in person, so it's all yours, buddy. And uh, <laughs> definitely excited to get the... Uh, post-match assessment uh, of that uh, battle against Halep and uh, and what it meant for Bianca to go up against her idol Uh, the the tactics that were used the decision not to employ on-court coaching and and maybe he'll give us a little glimmer in terms of how she's feeling as well but uh, really a a great opportunity to speak with him and uh, and get inside the mind of uh, you know the guy that's been there with her for uh, the bulk of the season and uh, and helped her reach such uh, such great historic heights for Canada.
0: That's right. And uh, without further ado, here is my interview with Bianca Andrescu's coach, Sylvain Bruno. You're listening to Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis and very pleased to welcome the coach of Canadian star, Bianca Andrescu, Sylvain Bruno. Uh, Sylvain, first of all, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the program this week.
2: My pleasure. My pleasure. No problem.
0: Uh, well, I'll start just off the bat, uh, Sylvan. This same time last year, uh, Bianca Andreescu was playing at the Tevlin Challenger in Toronto, which is a $60,000 ITF event. She's ranked 185th at the time, and she reached the semifinals there. And now we fast forward a year from now. Uh, could you have ever really imagined the season that she's put together winning Indian Wells, Rogers Cup, uh, then, of course, the U.S. Open?
2: No, you're right. A year ago was a totally different story. She was in Toronto and then afterwards playing some small tournaments in the U.S. So it's been quite a ride. And uh, to answer the question, no, no, I uh, would not have been able to expect that Bianca a year later would be in the WTA finals here in Shenzhen. And um, it's uh, it's been an incredible year. Uh, she they more than amazing, honestly, everything she accomplished, achieved this year. It's been very special. Uh,
0: and yes, it, it's so special, of course, to, to be able to qualify and reach uh, inside that top eight playing at the WTA, uh, WTA Finals. Before we get to the action there, uh, given that it, it's been such a whirlwind season, even just from the very beginning in Auckland with uh, Bianca reaching the final there. Well, was there a specific moment or point on court where maybe you were working with her and and you just felt like everything was kind of clicking and and she really turned a corner? Was was there anything that really stood out to you, or did did this kind of come from nowhere?
2: Well, I don't think it came from nowhere. I'm not sure it's just one a definite moment, but definitely you were mentioning last year at this time of the year being in in Toronto and uh, she played five tournaments actually, so Toronto was in the middle. Won and she won two of them, won a lot of matches, 20 out of 23. And definitely we we're going back on the court every single day then after the matches. And I I, uh, I can say that her confidence, something happened there where I, I felt something was, you know, just clicking. And then obviously if I want to say one turning point would probably be like that first tournament of the year in Auckland where she posted her first ever wins against top 10 players. And I think at this moment in time, um, after going through qualifying, I think that's when Bianca was like, okay. And I guess the same for me. Okay, uh, actually, this can happen now. Because I knew she was going to be uh, an outstanding player. I knew she was going to do great things. Uh, I did not know it was going to go that fast. I did not know it was going to happen in 2019. But I think that's an Auckland that Bianca really was like, okay, Maybe I don't need to wait. Maybe this is the time to start doing something spectacular.
0: And now, of course, uh, she's competing at the W.A.T. WTA finals in Shenzhen which is where you are now and she started off with a very tough match uh, mentally and physically uh, against one of her idols on the court Romanian Simona Halep uh, now Bianca obviously uh, put up quite a fight it was a great match three six seven six uh, six three for Halep and uh, Andreescu did have an issue with her lower back uh, in that second set uh, I don't know if you have Full intel at this point, but how is she feeling physically now after such a, a difficult match? And are you confident she will be well enough to, to still be competing at this event for her next two matches?
2: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's too early to tell. Uh, she's not playing today. She's playing only tomorrow night, so we'll see how the day goes. And uh, Definitely, the back uh, was a bit of an issue uh, yesterday, starting in the second set and throughout the rest of the match. So, uh, and she was, uh, you know, it was there after the match. So we'll see. It's too early to tell. But, uh, I mean, beside uh, the situation with the back, a great match. Simona played uh, tough, as always, got everything back, moved really well. And Jenka, I thought, played a really good match, positioned herself to win it. You know, she was up in that breaker uh, by match point. But, uh, you know, she's played a lot of her idols this year. But definitely playing Simona was a little bit, you know, I guess special again, because it's someone she grew really looking up to, I guess because of the Romanian connection and and all that, but uh it's been the case all of uh this year playing Serena and others, Venus and many more, where it's like just playing players she's been looking up to, and now she's facing them in big matches, but she's not intimated, she go there and we had to talk and and know she felt good and um, great match. We're just a bit disappointed with the outcome, but uh, she, she, it was a great battle.
0: And uh, I found something Simona Halep said uh, after this match quite quite interesting. Just about the format of the WTA Finals, uh, she said it's a great thing to win this tournament because it's like playing the final of a Grand Slam. Every day, uh, you, you know, obviously Andrescu has had such incredible results uh, throughout the year and and such big wins, of course, culminating with the historic win at the U.S. Open. But uh, is, is that true? Is this really just a, a completely different event than anything else you, you sort of see throughout the season?
2: It is different. The format is completely something else. You know, you've got only eight players. You are selected to be part of this tournament and then it's a round robin format. So I totally get what Simona means. You're playing a you know, a Grand Slam final every day because you look at whoever is here, it could be a final of a Grand Slam. And, you know, Saka, Gvitova, or Alec Andrescu, Pliskova, Zvitolina, whatever you want, whatever mix. So every single match is really, really tough. There's a lot at stake. It's the year-end championships. And, um, and I guess everybody's trying to finish on a good note. And the number one position is... Maybe up for grab, we'll see. So, um, so yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of uh, hype here. They, they, they do a good job. It's the first time it's in Shenzhen. First year, it's gonna be here for 10 years. And I think everybody player, uh, everybody feels the same as Simona. It's like every single match is so so huge. uh so big.
0: And uh, it it was such an enormous run of match wins. Obviously, we've talked about the unbelievable season, and now she's 48-6. and Uh, But even through that stretch of Rogers Cup and and U.S. Open, uh, Bianca had a very, very long stretch stretch where she hadn't lost a match. And and finally, she did so a few weeks ago to to Naomi Osaka, who's on a great run of her own. Uh, Just... From your vantage point as a coach, do you think sometimes maybe a loss after uh, a player as confident as Bianca was can actually maybe be to her to her benefit to kind of get, get knocked down and, and maybe deal with a little bit of adversity?
2: Uh, it's funny you ask. I actually feel uh, absolutely this is the case. Uh, I think it's pretty incredible what she's done winning all those matches uh, in a row. And um, it's been... Incredible, but uh, I think you can vote uh, from losing as well. I don't want it to happen too much, but it can <laughs> definitely be a good thing. So, and this, we intend to use it uh, this way. And obviously, you got to look at how that happened. She lost to Osaka in the quarters in Beijing in a great match, like really high level from both Naomi and Bianca. Naomi had just won the tournament the week before in Tokyo, was playing Splendid Tennis, uh, so... I remember at the time, a couple of weeks ago, I just felt proud. I just felt uh, really, really happy with the match, even if it was a loss. I mean, just by the fact that Bianca after winning U.S. Open uh, showed up in Beijing and was super angry and acted like nothing happened and she was the same and she went at it like a warrior. So for me, that was uh, a really, really positive win. And if I may say, uh, you know, uh, yesterday the same, I mean – aside the situation with the back but if i look at everything else i thought yesterday was a very positive loss as well uh it's something you can build upon and, and nothing to be ashamed of so you know she's going to lose matches she did extremely well for a big part of the year she's going to do well in the future but like everybody else she's going to lose matches and it's you know to um, get something out of it learn from it bounce back and get better so that's what matters
0: And uh, it feels like every loss she's had in 2019 has also been so unbelievably close. You look at her record in three set matches, uh, 15 and five and uh, eight and two against top 10 players. Uh, You know, this is a brand new experience uh, for Bianca reaching the WTA finals, not something that could have possibly been on her radar at the beginning of 2019, Uh, but it's also a new experience for you. What what has this ride really been like for you as coach?
2: Well, I'll be honest Which one? I'm learning all along. Uh, I mean, I had some preparation for it in 2014 when I was sort of like in the environment of Jeannie, and she did, uh, you know, also had like a great year then. So I was a bit prepared, but a lot of this is really new to me. Like, uh, you know, uh, just, um, and it's not like we've had, um, it's been a quick, very quick transition from the Challengers not only the tour but doing not only well on the tour but doing incredible on the tour but um you know we both uh, are pretty happy with what happened uh and we we i feel i mean have been trying to learn quite fast and adapt to everything i mean i can just be really uh, pleased with that stellar year uh and then all those experiences incredible experience i was able to share with bianca this year it's been a privilege honestly uh, as a coach, to just be involved and help someone such as Bianca in her journey to become the player she wants to be, it's just been very special. I think that's what you know coaches hope for uh you know, just be associated with a player like this, but not that's only because she's done so well i mean obviously that's um uh, that's a lot of fun, all those uh, matches she won and all those um great results. but just the way she goes about it, uh being so dedicated, so professional with her career. Um, I mean, as a coach, i must say that i've been really fulfilled in two thousand nineteen
0: and we've uh, had the great privilege uh canadian tennis fans uh, watching her journey throughout the season has been com- completely remarkable uh, i I know at our podcast we've we've had the opportunity to speak with bianca Andrescu a handful of times and-, and sometimes you forget when you're speaking with her that uh she is still uh just recently uh nineteen years old and and you know she's has an unbelievable size of money now, which is probably something she could have never envisioned in her life. And it's been such an unbelievable year. Uh, what is the challenge, I guess, for, for you and the rest of the team to to keep Bianca grounded after such a season like this, or, or do you think maybe with her personality, that's just not going to be a problem?
2: Well, it's a challenge for everybody, every player who's done really well, um, on the WTA tour, uh, one slams and got to number one. Well, we see a lot of it. We see players after who, who sort of like, I guess, you know, feel the expectation. They feel the pressure. Uh, just very few have been able to just keep going. And you, you feel sometimes there's a bit of a, a bit of a setback or something after. So we're really, really well aware of this. So is Bianca. So as, as you said, I think that's, I mean, that's going to be our mandate and that's going to probably be, uh, or main, uh, main objective is to, is to make sure that, you know, whatever she's done to get where she is now, she can't lose sight of what, you know, she's accomplished and how she went about it. And she needs to keep going forward and do the same. She's got, she, you know, she won her first grant slam. She wants to do, she's got more objectives. Uh, she had an objective here. She's got to have an objective for 2020 so, if she wants to fulfill and meet all her objectives, she's going to need to, you know, stay stay at it. And you know, a lot of things are going to be thrown at her. Uh, obviously, a lot of requests, a lot of really cool things, uh, sponsorship and invitations of any kind, and that sort of things. But um, she's a tennis player in the first place. She's very committed to what she does, and I'm. It's, I think it's going to be key to keep uh, working really hard and be in the moment and. Just not uh forget what uh what she's here for.
0: Well, uh, Sylvain, I I think I speak for all of uh, Canadian tennis fans Uh, when I say uh, you as a coach have just done such a fantastic, terrific job throughout 2019. One lasting memory, I think for for all of us tennis fans, is is going to be uh, your big speech uh, with Bianca Andreescu at Indian Wells, sort of hyping her up and and getting her across the finish line, winning that title, which was just an unbelievable Canadian moment. Uh, And we wish you guys all the best, not only at the WTA finals in Shenzhen, but uh, moving forward it as we see uh, Bianca kind of set sail on her career here.
2: That's very nice. I appreciate uh, the nice words, And we're just happy, uh, by the way, that um, tennis fan in the country, uh, I mean, I, I got so many comments, you know, from Indian Wells or the US Open of people just saying we had a, an incredible week. We played, you know, we watched all the matches, with her. we played the matches with her, <laughs> lots of emotions. And I know Bianca and I are just really, really happy to be able to bring this to the tennis fan around the country uh, just and hopefully for many more years to come. So that's uh, something we're very, uh, very happy with.
0: There you have it. Sylvain Bruneau, coach of uh, Bianca Andrescu. So she does have Two matches left in round-robin play. That is for sure, uh, assuming her body holds up. Uh, she will be playing Carolina Pliskova a Wednesday morning. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. You can find us on Twitter at Match Point Can. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre. And now we move over to the men's side. They're not quite uh, to London yet for the ATP Finals, but uh, plenty of exciting action this past week. Over in Basel, Roger Federer tallying his record 10th title there at the Swiss Indoor's 500 event. And he simply dominated, didn't drop a set the entire week and beat Alex Diemenauer in the finals 6-2, 6-2. Anytime uh, Mike Federer wins a a title, uh, he gets a little closer to that number uh, from Jimmy Connors. The record in the open era, 109 and now Federer up to 103. We made a huge deal when Federer hit the century mark and here he is at 38 years old, still going.
1: He's getting close. You have to think now, and I was a bit skeptical even a year and a half, two years ago, but you have to think he's going to get there. He's going to break it if he stays healthy. I mean, he could just play Basel for the next seven years and break the record (laughs) with the way he he plays in his hometown, I feel like. Um, But really remarkable. I was doing a little bit of sort of research into Jimmy Connors in terms of how old was Connors when he won title number 103, and he was only 32 years old when he got there. Federer doing this at 38 Federer, no offense, Jimmy, but Federer looks way better at 38 than Jimmy Connors did uh, at that age. uh, That's for sure. And Connors, it's interesting, was actually stuck. He got stuck on 105 titles for four years between 1984 and 1988 before winning his final four at the age of roughly 36, 37 years old. Uh, Now, he had that crazy run at the age of 39 to the U.S. Open uh, semis in 91, I believe it was. But... uh, Federer does not seem like slowing down. Uh, Federer, to me, and I think everyone who's watching, it's just absolutely remarkable. I I can't see him not getting there at this stage of the game, to be honest. But even if he didn't get to, uh, you know, that mark of 109 tournament titles, uh, to me, you can't compare him and Connors in terms of how they're playing at this stage of the game. Federer is just remarkable.
0: Well, it's interesting you you note that span of time that Jimmy Connors went without winning a title People used to make issue of the span of time Roger Federer went without winning a grand slam because he had that one last grand slam in 2012 and waited until uh, 2017 at the Australian open to notch another. But in that period of five years, believe me, he was chalking up plenty of titles uh, throughout. So he's been very consistent throughout the bulk of his career, the entirety of his career, always winning title after title. It, It feels like, you know, Anything less than four or five titles per season from Roger Federer is a low number. So then it becomes a question of how long does he want to continue playing this sport? And uh, we know he's going to be playing for 2020. He has his uh, sights set on the Olympics as well. Uh, Can he get six titles next year? I'm not sure, but maybe he could get one more this year. You never know.
1: It sure be nice, though, I got to say, to see him play in Canada one more time. Which uh, it, it doesn't seem like that's you know realistically going to happen. Yeah. Certainly not in 2020 with the Olympics and that added event and, and time travel—not time travel and uh, time zone travel. Maybe he has time travel. Maybe that's why he's
0: so good. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but, that, that's um, a good theory.
1: We won't be seeing him in Toronto next summer, but uh, it would be great to see him back on Canadian soil if I can. You know, Levy. Any criticism towards Roger? It's don't forget about your your red and white fans over here in Canada too.
0: Yeah, there you go. Last time he played in Canada, 2017 in Montreal. We would love for him to come back, Montreal or Toronto. It doesn't matter. Uh, we will continue with the ATP events uh, from last week in Vienna. Also, winning his home title and not for the tenth time, actually the first time. Dominic Team capturing the Erste Bank Open, defeated uh, Diego Schwartzman in a great three set final and. Really, to me, 2019 has been about Dominic team proving his worth away from clay. that he is a competitor. Maybe I'm not going to say all services because grass courts haven't been kind to him, but he is a hardcore player. When you win titles at Indian Wells, China Open, and then the Earth Bank Open, uh, that proves that you're not just a clay court specialist.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we've kind of come to terms with that, certainly earlier in the year with his win over uh, Federer there at the Masters in uh... Oh, I always confuse those two. Indian Wells, uh, help Indian Wells. thank you, Indian yep. Wells, wonderful. I got to write that on my hand before every podcast. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's proven his versatility. And and while yeah, grass might not be his uh, favorite service, he does have a title from a couple years ago on grass, so he is capable of winning there too. Uh, this year, five titles overall, and uh, that's the most of his career. And three of those on hard court. He only had two hard court tournament wins. Prior to 2019, so he's evolving. He's making games, and uh, you know, to be perfectly honest, I am expecting big things from him as well as Danil Medvedev next year. Stop teasing us and go grab a big <laughs> one already, guys.
0: Yeah, there you go. And Dominic Team will certainly be one of those contenders to watch, of course, at the French Open, where he's now a two-time finalist. Uh, this past week did have some implications into the ATP race to London, who we will see in terms of the top eight. No surprise, Stefano Sittipas qualifying for London and uh, doing so for the first time in his career. We have the top six players set. Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, Daniil Medvedev, Dominic Team all of whom we've mentioned, and Stefano Tsitsipas. It looks like uh, Sasha Zverev will get that seventh spot, um, and he can officially qualify if he reaches the finals of Paris this week. Now, Matteo Berrettini, another player simply surging, uh, reached the U.S. Open semifinals and has been playing some great tennis uh, of late as well. He's up to a career-high number nine in the rankings this week, and now he's into that eighth spot just in front of Roberto Bautista Gutt. So it is quite a fascinating race. Uh, as this season winds down.
1: And it's a long season. I mean, at least the women's tour is wrapping things up now. The men have still, it seems like, quite a bit to go, including Davis Cup, Mm -hmm. where we hope as Canadian tennis fans that Berrettini cools off a little bit because Italy's in the same pool as Canada and the USA. But uh, boy, what a long and especially grinding season on the men's tour. Uh, We still have quite a ways to go. But it will be interesting to see who grabs the the last spot there. And uh, unfortunately, no no Canadians on the men's side. But as we have Gabby and Bianca this year playing singles, doubles in uh, Shenzhen, I I can foresee a time when we've got Dennis and hopefully Felix also as a couple of Canadian presences Uh, in the year-end ATP Finals. Wouldn't that be something else?
0: Yes, that would be fantastic. And Unfortunately for Felix, Ojeelia seemed unable to play uh, the next-gen Finals, uh, but we will see Denis Shapovalov there, and hopefully the progression from that is getting to those ATP Finals in London, uh, hopefully in a couple of years. We do have that final Masters 1000s event for the men. It is in Paris, in Bercy, and uh, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, the top two seeds, and they're currently jostling for the the end of year number one ranking and uh, Nadal looking to be in pretty good shape as Djokovic will have a lot of points to defend. We do have a couple of Canadians in the field and we were just talking about Milos Raonic. Uh, He opened this tournament with a tidy 6-3, 6-2 win over Cameron Norrie. And uh, interesting enough, he will be facing Dominic Thiem uh, in his next match. Just good. I think uh, for Milos at this point in the season to get a win because it had been a while.
3: Yeah, I mean,
1: not like Jeannie Bouchard a while, but uh, yeah, it had been a while for him. And uh, when you look at his record against team, they had a a really close one earlier this year in Indian Wells, a tournament where Milos always seems to play well, but that seems like ages ago for Milos after all that he's been through. Uh, He does own a two-to-one head-to-head against team, but both of uh, Milos' wins come from back in 2016, so I don't think we can put too much stock in them. I think this is going to be a real tough one for Milos to get through, but uh, hopefully whatever happens, he ends up healthy by the end of it.
0: Yeah, that would be the hope. And then uh, Denis Shapovalov uh, as well. Uh, Not too long ago, just a couple of weeks ago, he won his maiden ATP title in Stockholm. I I think maybe the carryover in Vienna could have been a little fatigue losing right away there. So he should be fresh and ready to go. And he opens his tournament uh, against Frenchman Gilles Simon. Simon, of course, will have the crowd support. uh, But Denis Shapovalov is absolutely playing his best tennis uh, of 2019 these past few months.
1: Yeah, and uh, that could set up a match against Fabio Fanini, the 11th seed, who's got a bye there. Dennis has matched up well against him in the past. Um, But, uh, you know, Dennis, we want you to, you know, uh, prepare yourself and pace yourself for Davis Cup because with Felix already kind of on the injured uh, reserve, Milos, you never know. Uh, We really need Dennis to be healthy, to have a, a good shot there, I feel like.
0: Yeah, that will be vital. And uh, I should note Felix Ojeali, seemed though he did uh, withdraw from Paris. He does fully intend to uh, go to Madrid and compete for Canada. Uh, so the next few weeks will be very crucial in him getting his body right, making sure he is good to go. Uh, so we have all hands on deck for Canada when they face Italy at the Davis Cup finals in Madrid in late November. As I mentioned, Novak Djokovic uh, top seed here. He's won the event four times. Rafael Nadal surprisingly hasn't won this event and really just has not had that same success on indoor hardcore just two wins in his career we'll be curious to see if he can turn the tide there because uh of course he's really been on fire since that u.s open title it's uh, really since losing at Wimbledon. He hasn't lost since. He's he's won 28 of his last 29 matches. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre, and we'll uh, return to the women's side uh, because we do have an event this week at the Aviva Center, and I know, Mike, uh, for yourself and for myself, uh, we'll both have an opportunity to get a glimpse of the Tevlin Challenger, the 60K ITF event here in Toronto, and so fascinating to think that uh, this same. time last year bianca andrescu was playing in this field
1: yeah what a difference a year makes last uh, year 2018 she was ranked about 185th in the world playing in the 60k uh, itf event and now here she is a year later playing in a 14 million dollar uh you know purse over in shenzhen with the top eight players in the world so you know if that doesn't inspire you and if you can't use that for motivation as a young tennis player i don't know what will work for you because that's absolutely tremendous but If you're a Toronto tennis fan or you're in the area uh, or if you're a a real tennis media member, you've got to get out to the Tevlin Challenger and catch some of this. The draw looks really good. We've got uh, Kirsten Flipkins as the number one seed. She's been around for a while and former top 15 player on the WTA Tour. Uh, She's matching up against Arianna Arsenault, a young Canadian wild card in the first round. Uh, Melody Collard is in as a wild card, too, and she won in doubles last week with Leila Annie Fernandez in Saguenay so up-and-coming players uh, to watch for sure here at the Tevlin. And then you've got uh, Françoise Abanda, who seems like she's been around forever, but she's still only 22 years old. She matches up against Sasha Vickery, the fourth seed in the main draw. And uh, the final Canadian is uh, Jada Bui, who was on Canada's Pan Am team this past summer, uh, along with Rebecca Marino. So some Canadian faces. We do have one left in qualifying. That's Raphael Lacasse, who won her qualifying match today. So, uh, She uh, hopefully could add to the five we've already got in the main draw. But it's a fantastic event. You get to see it up close. You get to see them practicing up close. They're very accessible. They'll sign autographs. They'll chit-chat with you. You never know when you're going to find the next, uh, maybe not the next world number four, but uh, another player that could crack certainly into the top 100 amongst these women here in Toronto.
0: Yeah, certainly. And uh, I've had the opportunity to, to hit and play a handful of times at Aviva Center on, the, on these very courts. Uh, and it is incredible how close up you will be if you get a chance to go, because, uh, you know, I, I've had moments where I've played there and uh, look over to me and I was like, wait, is that Carol Zhao and Sharon Fitchman hitting twice as hard as me? Uh, so it is pretty <laughs> cool to see if you get a chance to go. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of great players here. And you never know what kind of run a young player can get from, say, winning an ITF title and gaining some momentum, all of these uh, young players uh, looking for that opportunity. And we were fortunate enough, Mike, to to have an opportunity to chat with one of them, uh, Kennedy Schaefer, who's been uh, toughing it out on the ITF uh, circuit for a while now.
1: Yeah, Kennedy Schaefer was one of those players the first year I covered this event. uh, She came up and asked me if I could send a few of the pictures that I had taken, as many of these players do, because often at these events, there isn't even an official photographer that's there. And so I've followed her progress since. She's uh, ended her college career, made the transition to pro. And uh, as she mentions with us in the interview, injuries have taken their toll a bit on her this year. But she's only 22 years old. She hit the heavy ball. Uh, she won her first qualifying match today, 6-3, 6-1, And she'll go again uh, tomorrow to uh, hopefully qualify for the main draw. So why don't we give a listen to uh, the interview we had recently with uh, American Kennedy Schaefer.
3: So, Kennedy, you've practiced quite a bit up here in Canada in the past couple of years, and you've got a close friendship as well with Canadian player Louise Kwong. So, as far as we're concerned, you're basically uh, half Canadian at this point in time, if that's okay with you. Can you talk a bit about how um, your friendships and your practice opportunities have meant to you up here in our country?
4: Well, I will start by saying that I love this country so much. I honestly uh, took a minute to look into citizenship opportunities. So I want to be Canadian so bad. I am very honest. I'm am definitely a wannabe. I absolutely love every experience I've had in Canada. I've Realized it would take me about six years, so I don't I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's going to work out well for me. But Tennis Canada, um, I have no affiliation with them. They've always been, you know, so kind to me. Every time I come around, they they've let me hit in and use their courts of charge which you know as a as a struggling pro player money is always it's always a tough you know it's it's an issue it definitely is and so they've been so welcoming to me and you know I'm, I'm very fortunate to have a good friend who lives so close to the toronto center so anytime i'm able to come up and train the the coaches are so welcoming the the people at the center are so kind and and so i i do love playing this tournament toronto is is so great this is my i think this is my Third year in a row playing it, so it's uh, it 's close enough to home where I almost want to make a, a bit of a dangerous statement maybe and say it kind of <laughs> feels like home, even though even though it 's definitely not I, I absolutely love this event
0: uh, well you're certainly going to introduce yourself nicely, I think, to our listeners with your love of Canada, and you 're right, it is going to be <laughs> your uh, third installment playing at at the Tevlin Challenger. In what ways, maybe, is this event similar or, or different than than most ITF events you play? And and how do you kind of get into the rhythm of, of playing various ITF events, traveling North America or maybe across continent as well?
4: So I uh, I personally love indoor hard courts. I'm from Ohio and, and you know in the Midwest. It's a big thing. So. This, this Canada Strip right here, the Saguenay Toronto, is, uh, are, are they're two of my favorite events because I do love to be on those indoor hard courts that are a little bit quicker. They're they're better for my game. And, and so I always uh, – I never want to pass up an opportunity to play there. And, and this, this event is it's, – it's, I don't want to draw a comparison to Saguenay because, I, again, they're two separate events, but they're both so great. The hospitality is always something – that I've loved when I go to both places, the The people that we work with are so kind and they're so willing to do whatever it takes to put on an event that, you know, that's fantastic for the players and the fans. And they, in my opinion, you know, they go above and beyond to, to make sure we're comfortable and we have everything we, we need. And I didn't, I unfortunately did not go to the Dave and Buster's player party last year because, I can't remember why. I'm not even going to use an excuse. I don't know. (laughs) But all of the players always talking about, you know, the player party in Toronto being one of the best. And so in that way, I think the tournament kind of separates itself and rises to a bit of a new level because it's, it's got the ability. They do such a good job that they are able to bring in, you know, all the players. I know most of, most of the girls, from what I've been told typically go, it's not something they want to miss. So in my opinion, that's kind of one of the things that makes Toronto a little bit of a, a more so of a top tier event. And, as far as rhythm and events goes, you know it's uh, it's tennis to me is such an interesting sport because you have people that'll have a couple bad weeks in a row and then all of a sudden one breakthrough and you know it, it, that's that's all they need. Sometimes it's only one match and not to um, not to compare situations, but like look at Bianca, you know I, I wouldn't be on a Canadian talk show if I didn't at least you know reference reference your tennis pride and joy and rightfully so. Um, you know it, it was it was a couple good. Could tournaments? That's all it kind of starts. And once you get your momentum, you know she's unstoppable. She's on top of the world right now. So I, I think uh, it's tough if you can afford to keep playing. The more you can play, I think uh, that's definitely a step in the right direction of getting your rhythm. For me, it's a little bit difficult. I had a head wrist surgery at the end of April, and you know I'm not winning as many matches as I I wish. So it's hard sometimes to get that rhythm because uh, when you don't do well, it's one and done. And you sometimes don't know when you're going to play again, but I just uh, again to touch on to touch on this event, they have such great staff and it's a great facility and they take such good care of the players. It's very hard not to to want to not want to go and play a tournament at such a, in my opinion, prestigious location. So that was a bit of a rant. I do apologize for that. It's
3: okay, you're saying all the right things, so it's guaranteeing you a return to the podcast <laughs> and probably a return to the Tevlin as well in the future. Um, the Devlin is a, a 60K event, and so that attracts quite a few players who are interested to come and play here. And it seems to me like it's quite a, a mix of players. You've got veterans in there, like uh, last year we had Alexandra Stevenson. Patty Schneider's been here as well in the last couple of years. But it's also mixed in with a lot of young players, a lot of young Canadian players and other up-and-coming players who you might not know as well. How do you gear up for such a challenging field where you could be playing against a a real veteran or someone who's just sort of cutting their teeth in one of their first first events at this level?
4: You know, to be honest, and I'm not trying to take the easy way out of this answer, I think that's not something you can necessarily, you know, prepare for. You have to in my opinion, trust the work that you've done as a player, and and the matches, and you know the process, the journey you're on. But it's it's so I I remember watching Patty Schneider play. I remember that match. I remember thinking, Oh good lord, I'm so glad I didn't have to play her. <laughs> then I remember also watching some some young up and comers play, and I I love that Tennis Canada gives uh, gives their younger kids a chance to to see these events so that it's not so overwhelming when they get there if they decide that's what they want to do. So it is a very tough field because, again, it, it draws a lot of top players. And it also, you know, whether they're young or they're old, the talent level is so high there. Historically, the qualities have always been extremely tough. So, you know, part of you <laughs> dreads a little bit. Cause you just, you know, that every match you play, is, uh, is going to be a difficult one. And then the other part of you that is an athlete always wants to rise to the challenge. But you don't, in my opinion, you don't want to draw a Patty Schneider or something like that. So that's always the danger. And then you also maybe don't want to draw a Layla Fernandez because I don't feel like that would be super fun either. So it's, it's very hard to prepare when you've got, you know, from one spectrum, one end of the other, such an such a incredibly difficult, tough field.
0: Yeah, it, it is quite a contrast between you know young and upcoming players who probably hit really hard and, and they're on the rise. And then you have veterans who just really, really know the game of tennis. So uh, we've talked about the Tevlin Challenger attracting a great mix of players. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing there, you there again. You you earlier alluded to uh, our pride and joy here, Bianca Andreescu. Um, and of course, as you mentioned, she, she was at the Tevlin Challenger last year and, and she was well outside the top 100 now. She just moved up to uh, fourth in the world and of course she's a Grand Slam champion when you yourself are you know slugging it out on the ITF things like finances are challenging etc are stories like Bianca's something that that you can draw inspiration from
4: I think uh, whether you're tennis basketball you know, whatever sport I think a story like hers is definitely something you can't look at and not admire because that's somebody that who I don't I can't say I know you know, super well personally. I think I've played her maybe once in my life when she was probably fourteen, something like that. So it's it's not a, I can't say that that I know her well enough, but you look at somebody who's kind of been grinding and, and doing it the right way and then you see them one what not one good event. Obviously she's had multiple, but it starts with one good match. Then it starts with a couple good matches, then it's a good tournament and then Next thing you know, and I think that you know, I'm not saying that everybody's going to have a story like hers. I think she's a bit of an exception. You know, she's she's got the record that she does this year. So as an athlete, you've got to appreciate someone going through the work and and seeing it pay off for them. And you always, you know, it it, it makes me hungry. I want to do. I want to. I want the chances that she has. I want to put in the work that she has. I would love to be able to, you know, play at the level that she is. Obviously, any uh, any person would would say that. So it's it's something you look at and you think you know, again, I, I, as I said, I believe she's the exception, but you look at someone who can kind of do something like that and you think, you know, maybe why not me? You know, it's, again, I'm not saying that anyone's going to have her, her path, but if someone can kind of break through and gain momentum, you know, you never know what they're capable of doing, but if they never get the chances, if they don't do the right work, that type of thing, then you'll, you'll never know. But so her story is definitely, is something you can't, this is going to be a double negative so i apologize you can't not be inspired by the way that she kind of broke through and just took off sprinting out of the gates it's it's incredibly impressive
3: for those who aren't uh, as familiar our guest right now is is Kennedy Schaefer an american tennis player who played college tennis and relatively recently made the switch to uh, play professionally you had your career high ranking towards the end of 2018 you were pushing towards the top 500 in the wta you mentioned earlier you had some health issues this year with the wrist injury um what other challenges have you faced this year and, and how do you feel right now about how your game is uh, is playing now that you're back on on court
4: you know in, in addition to my wrist kind of um obviously it's better surgery always can make something better but I, i'm having a hard time remembering that this is a process because that october november period i started to do really well and i I was really happy with the path I was on, the way my game was going, and then kind of one sharp right turn and and everything took a bit of a dive. So not only is trying to come back from surgery, get the reps in, make sure my body is getting used to this high level again, one of the challenges, but to speak on it and be entirely honest, it's for me, I'm I'm having the most difficulty with realizing that I'm not the level that I was a year ago. And um, I know that that sounds overdramatic. I'm not trying to be ungrateful for, for what I've been able to do. But my record this year is like, it's, it's four and 12. I've not done well. And it's very frustrating because, you know, you, you get out, you get on a little bit of a streak and you think, wow, maybe I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going in the right direction. And then something kind of derails it. It takes months to start to feel good about yourself. And it takes minutes to start to feel like you don't think you can do it anymore. So I'm kind of a, uh, to be honest, I'm fighting that battle a little bit of, of knowing that I'm not what I, was before and kind of dealing with all the the match losses, because it's, let's be honest, you lose more than you win, but it's also, it never makes it any easier to continue to lose. So uh, it's, it's kind of, again, dealing with the losses and, and trying to find the bright spots in them for me. You know, I finally won a first round match at a 25 and that's seems like nothing, but for me, who's kind of had a rough go about it's it's a huge deal. So like, I have to look and find, these, these bright spots and what kind of feels like an overwhelmingly uh, a gloomy period. But I'm, I'm in, on that bright side, I'm playing at indoor courts that I love. I've done well here. I love the people. I love the place in Saginaw and same with Toronto. So I, I kind of don't have a choice, but to think that I'm going in somewhat of a right direction because I, I did play a, a good tournament. What was it last weekend? I don't even know when it was. All oh, my days are mixed up. So I have to look at that and see that as a step in the right direction because I'm not going to get that flashing neon sign like, you finally did it, you overcame everything. For me, it's a little bit more about the subtle victories because I'm I'm not having those big victories. So I just have to look at every match as a new chance to try and get a little bit better each day because, as I said, I'm not where I was before, but that doesn't mean I can't be there and hopefully more. That's that's what we all want. And we just we want to see what we're capable of. So that's that's what I have to keep telling myself. And it does feel bleak sometimes, but it is the truth. You know, it's all about the little victories for me right now.
3: Hey, we really appreciate that appreciate that honesty. I think a lot of young tennis players could really benefit from hearing something like that. And if you want, you know, we can get a flashing neon sign made for you for your arrival <laughs> here in Toronto <laughs> if that would if that would help.
4: It would make me feel important because right now (laughs) I haven't felt super great. If uh, again, if we're being honest, I'm not fly about that. It's a, it's a tough sport. You lose more than you win, unless you are the exception and coming back from a level, you felt like you were finally reaching. That's uh, for me, that's been even more difficult. It wasn't getting there. It's, you know, it's maintaining and defending all these points and now trying to get even a semblance of what I was before. That's where I'm kind of stuck, but inching ever so slowly. A little bit forward that's at least what I tell myself
0: well we really uh, appreciate your candor and I've, I've long said um, as as a tennis player myself not a professional one though um, that uh, tennis I think is the most mentally taxing challenging and psychological sport sport there is and you, you don't have a team to fall back on or rely on when maybe things aren't going your way you have to problem solve yourself and uh, yeah sort of take those uh, little steps you can't take one giant step um, so quickly, it's all about uh, a small process to, to better the little things.
4: Absolutely agree. We, uh, we play a brutal sport physically, mentally. I mean, to, to try and maintain a healthy mindset in a, in a field where you, for lack of a better term, you take more L's than you than you would like to. It's, I, I personally believe that's one of the things that separates the good from the great. The people that can take the losses, shine the right things, you know, and use them constructively moving forward. But it's very, I say that knowing it's very difficult to not just sit there and say, I lost this match, I lost this match, I lost this and think, well, am I wasting my time? Because, you know, you don't, you don't want to waste your life, but you also, it's it's a tough decision to give up your passion and what you've known, you know, it's hard to make that decision, you know, it's time for me to stop, or I I think I'm showing signs of, of, like, going in the right direction. So let me give this a go again. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. But got to go all in. You can't kind of half half take the dive, if that makes any sense.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, Kennedy, thank you so much for joining us on the program and giving us a little preview for the uh, Tevlin Challenger here, and hopefully a return to a city where you feel comfortable and you've played really well in the past is is just what you need, so we hope you have a great week, and we uh, look forward to talking to you again on the podcast down the road.
4: Thank you guys so much for having me and then just kind of letting me shine a light on some things that I know everyone goes through, but not everyone necessarily talks about.
0: And there you have it, American Kennedy Schaefer, who is competing here in Toronto at the Aviva Center at the Tevlin Challenger. And it was honestly really refreshing to hear an athlete so honest about her struggles because it can be difficult. Uh not only dealing with injuries, but so much travel and, you know, things can really come to a head when you're not winning matches. So not getting down on yourself staying positive uh, can be a great challenge and we don't often hear about it when we're talking about players uh, who are on the ITF circuit.
1: No, it was really refreshing and that's absolutely what I expected talking to Kennedy because when I've spoken with her in the past, what I've always thought would be like a maybe 15-20 minute conversation, we end up chatting tennis for over an hour because she's got so much to say about her journey and uh, her thoughts on the sport. And uh, it was great to have her on speaking candidly like that. I do have to share that Kennedy Schaefer is the only player, uh, professional tennis player who has ever inadvertently gotten me into hot water with the WTA supervisor (laughs) at a tournament, and uh, totally she she didn't uh, bank on this happening. But uh, a year ago at the Tevlin, she was uh, walking off the court, and she was so pumped up about her win. I was the only one sitting there snapping some pictures, and she just instinctively came over and threw out her fist to give me a fist bump because she was so pumped up. And I didn't even have the, t- the chance to even think about it. It was just you know instinctively you kind of just bump back, and uh, lo and behold, ten minutes later I'm getting pulled aside by the tournament uh, director and WT supervisor asking me about what are you doing fist bumping a player on the court? You know, <laughs> first of all, I was the only media member there, so I, I don't really know what you know the bigger issue was, but uh, it was really just a knee jerk reaction where you couldn't help yourself and. Uh, we joke about that now, and uh, and I'm cool with the tournament director and everyone there, and uh, just kind of a funny story. And uh, you know what? But that's how small the tournament is. Is there aren't like you know hundreds of fans there cheering? There aren't even coaches. Many in many cases, there there aren't even coaches. These players can't afford it, so they use each other to bounce ideas off of, and you you really feel it's a much more intimate sort of environment. And uh, and, and what these players have to struggle through is uh, is quite obvious when you go and check them out. In this kind of uh, small bubble.
0: Oh, that is an amusing story. And it uh, kind of speaks to how, when you are grinding on this circuit, you, you can feel like you're alone. So uh, she probably wanted somebody to reach out and kind of celebrate this sweet victory with. And, uh, you know, you were someone she had spoken to for a while. So uh, I, I'm sure I would have laid the fist bump as well. How can you not? You have to, right? You have to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, as we wrap up uh, the episode, uh, we're thrilled to have another available uh, giveaway for our listeners. And, Mike, I believe this time, we have some Canadian tennis racket uh, dampeners, which is uh, essentially just the the Canadian flag uh, to stick between the strings at the bottom of your racket.
1: Yeah. You've seen plenty of Canadian players use these in the past, including Bianca Andreescu up until just recently, she had them on her racket strings. And so thanks to Justin Hummel and uh, on Twitter, you can follow at Canada dampeners and he's given us a few of these uh, to give out to our listeners He's also an avid listener, so Justin, we appreciate the support and, and thanks for giving us some free swag here to uh, provide with our to our to our listeners. So we've got a couple for this week, and if you want to tweet us your Canadian tennis moment of 2019, perhaps we put a little asterisk and say outside of the obvious Bianca Andreescu win at Flushing Meadows, uh, doesn't have to be a big one. We're uh, you know just share anything that that comes to mind this year, men's or women's side, and uh, retweet our latest episode to be entered for a draw for a couple of these racket dampeners we'll give away in a week's time.
0: Perfect. And uh, we thank our guests from this week, Kennedy Schaefer and Bianca Andreescu's coach, Sylvain Bruneau, as uh, Andreescu continues to compete at the WTA finals from Shenzhen. Thank you, Mike. And thank you for listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time.